Welcome to episode number two of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. My name is Dan Ball. This is Tyler Brocious. Brosh, how we doing? I'm home for the week, so I'm doing dandy. We got a little um, field hockey's playing Villanova this week, so I'm back in Jersey. I had um, a concert to go to Sunday night and a little surgery on Monday, so I'm ready to roll for the rest of basically the rest of my life. So if you haven't picked up on it by now, Tyler Brocious is not in studio. He's joining us on the phone. But either way, we are back for episode number two. Today on the show, we are talking to the head coach of the Quinnipiac field hockey team, Becca Main. Uh, we talked to her about how she got the program started back in the mid-90s and has built it into the powerhouse that it is now, at least in the Northeast. So we talked to her, and we also talked to Lauren Triglione of the Quinnipiac women's soccer team. We talked to her about her background before she got to Quinnipiac, what made her come to Hamden, and some of the other things that make her so special as a student athlete. So we're going to get to both of those in just a moment, but first, we're going to go through some of the action the week that was in Quinnipiac Athletics. So we're going to start our recap with men's soccer. They've won two in a row. Uh, they won their last preseason game against CCSU by a score of 2-1, to one, and they took their MAC opener on the road at Canisius by a score of 4-1. to one. Eamon Whalen is leading the MAC right now in points with 11 and goals with 5. Broch, he has been on fire so far. Yeah, and I, you know, I've always been, it seems like the fall, I always fall catching myself watching soccer all the time. It feels like every week you just have a game on Wednesday where one of the soccer programs is playing theirs. It reaches that point in the year and you kind of get like that with basketball come mid-February. But right now, Eamon Whalen's just on fire. and It's great to see, you know, bitten a little bit by the injury bug last year. Come back really strong and prove any doubters wrong. It's just been an awesome year so far for him, especially hitting that stride as they get in the MAC play. So men's soccer is on the road today, October 3rd, the day that this episode drops at St. Peter's before returning home for two games against Manhattan on Saturday and Siena next Wednesday, October 10th. Switching over to the women's side, the women's soccer team is 5-0-1 in their last six games, and they've won three in a row, their most recent win coming over Niagara, a 3-0 win on the road. And senior forward Al Pelletier earned her second career MAC Offensive Player of the Week award. Uh, she scored two goals in two games last week both of which were wins by the Bobcats. And she, again, just like Eamon Whalen has been on the men's side, she has been unbelievable so far. Yeah, and Al's just, she was at home a couple weeks ago playing, I think it was against Fairfield. It just, she doesn't give up. They're up, you know, one nothing, And they, she's just running like a maniac. And as soon as the game ended, I looked at her and I went, you just ran more in just that second half than I've done probably in at least 11 years, maybe my whole entire <laughs> life. And she's just, she's playing at a whole other level right now. And that whole team in itself is playing at another level. I mean, the whole, from literally the goalie up, everybody's playing in a style that's really, really dominant. And that's exactly what he won. So the women's soccer team is hosting St. Peter's today. Uh, they'll head out on the road after that for a game at Monmouth on Saturday uh, before a week off, so you won't be able to catch them until the Saturday after that. Switching over to rugby, they are back on track with back-to-back -back wins over Norwich University and Notre Dame College. They, meanwhile, are back in action this Saturday at Harvard. 
Yeah, and I think if you, you know, I've spoken so much to Becky Carlson through text when she was back on the road traveling back from Pittsburgh, and she basically was like, that's the halfway point. I think we're right where we want to be, a younger team than they're used to, I think, at this point in the season, and they're, they're working out all the kinks right now, and that's what you want. You start a little bit on, you know, not what they're used to at 0-2, but to really persevere, come through with two big wins, and now you're going to get back into the swing of things. That big test in Harvard on the road in Cambridge this week, but I think the ref board is every, all the freshmen start to gel together, the sophomores step up, and then you have the one-two punch in Roscoff and Maples who are really coming into their own this year. And it's not too overly, I guess, not too surprising to see Broch uh, a little bit of a, a, a tough start after losing so many strong players that help you win back-to-back national championships. I mean, Iona Marr, one of the many that you can name off of that list, but I mean, you, you could expect a little bit of a, a slow start for them if you were looking at that roster. Oh, yeah, especially. And I think they understood that and they were big on it in the first games in you know, late August, early September. It's, these games are all about building to something bigger. And now that's something bigger starting to come through as we hit that calendar right now into October and November. So it's been a great last two weeks for the volleyball team. They shut out Manhattan 3-0 on Saturday, September 23rd. Then this past Saturday, they took Mac Powerhouse Fairfield to five sets. They ultimately dropped the contest 3-2, but still a step in the right direction for them. Uh, that was game one of a seven-game road trip for the Bobcats. They play this Saturday at Niagara, followed by a game at Canisius on Sunday. And if you want to catch them at home, you're going to have to wait until October 20th against St. Peter's. That's the beginning of a seven-game homestand for them, so they will be on the road for a little while. Women's tennis wrapped up action at the 2018 West Point Invite on Saturday as Dominique Vasily and three other players all earned a singles win prior to elimination. So after battling it out with some of the best teams in the country at the Battle of Beantown, both the men's and women's cross-country teams are headed to the New England Championships at Franklin Park in Boston this Saturday, October 6th. Moving over to women's hockey, they dropped two close games to Ohio State last weekend. Both games were a 3-2 final, but we found out earlier this week that freshman forward Lexi Ajiza was named the ECAC Hockey Rookie of the Week. She was the first Bobcat to win the award in her first weekend since Emma Woods did it back in 2013. Adjaza tallied a pair of points for the Bobcats in her first collegiate game with a pair of assists against number 7 Ohio State. She led all ECAC freshmen with two assists and two points on the weekend, and she was one of seven rookies in the nation to record a two-point game. So Lexi Adjaza, a strong start. She's playing on the wing with Taylor House and Sarah Ev, Kotu Godbu. That was one of the best lines all weekend for the Bobcats broche, and they continued to look good and a lot of promising things coming for this Bobcats women's hockey team. Yeah, and I think it's not so much at this time of the year. It comes down to conference play. It's all about building and learning from that. And I think their fight to jump back into it each time, you know, they went down one nothing each of those games, but they fought back to tie it up. And also kind of playing off that line, Taylor House was somebody um, Cass Turner pointed out in the exhibition against Guelph. She was mentioned again this week. She's playing dominant, and it should be fun to watch this team as they grow. And for someone, for a freshman to be named in the same breath as Emma Woods, who's done so well, and now she's overplaying at the CWHL, it's going to be something really big and growing. And I think I'm excited to see what um, Lexi and the rest of the squad can do um, coming up this weekend. 
And that was one of the things that kind of impressed me as well, Broch. Not only Lexi Ajiza, but Courtney Vorster and Zoe Boyd on the point. Two freshmen playing on that second D pair for Cass Turner's team. Just an impressive effort for the rookies through the first couple games. Uh, the women's hockey team will conclude their five-game homestand this weekend with a two-game set against the University of Maine. Men's hockey, meanwhile, they're getting underway on Saturday with an exhibition game against Prince Edward Island at 7 p.m. Now, Broch, there's one team that we didn't mention, and that is the field hockey team. So they've alternated wins and losses in their past few games. They've gone 2-2 two and two in their last four and sit 1-2 and two in Big East play thus far. They head to Pennsylvania this Friday to battle Villanova before returning home to do battle with Providence. But, Broch, you know this program better than almost anybody at Quinnipiac right now, and you know Becca Main personally. She's an all-timer when it comes to Quinnipiac athletics. And I, 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 when I talk about coaches sometimes, like, oh, they're a great coach. They're really nice. Becca Man has become a full-fledged family member to me, and, and she's just absolutely awesome. She's amazing. There's, I can't say enough about her. And that's exactly what we hope that everybody else gets from listening to this interview. I got a chance to sit down with Becca Main earlier this week. We talked about her beginnings as a field hockey player, then a coach, and what she tries to do to build her field hockey team here at Quinnipiac into a national superpower. So let's hear what she had to say about that. And we're back on the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast, episode number two. And today we are joined by the head coach of the Quinnipiac field hockey team, Becca Main. Becca, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Sure. Um, so you are going into year number 24 as the head coach here. Is that correct? That is totally correct, yeah. Wow, okay. So, I mean, just to, to run through the shot sheet of some of the things that, that you've accomplished, the four-time coach of the year, uh, once in the MAC, twice in the NEC, and one in the Northeast 10 back in 1997. Uh, two-time MAC regular season co-champions, a MAC tournament championship, three times in the NCAA tournament. I mean, that is a that is a record in and of itself. But so you're 24 years into this gig. Obviously, you've seen a lot of change in, in your time here. So what was Quinnipiac field hockey when you first started in your first couple of years here? Um, Quinnipiac field hockey, I think what ends up happening when you just get out of college, and I had just gotten out of college, I just finished playing at Penn State and wasn't sure the direction I was going. So it was very common across the board of, of today's generation or yesterday's generation. And I had moved up to the Connecticut area to be with my partner at the time, and I was in the area, and I just started working and doing some things, and all of a sudden, in, back in the day, you got a newspaper, and in the newspaper, you would read what job openings were there, and a friend of a friend handed this to me and said, look, they're adding field hockey at Quinnipiac University, so never had Quinnipiac um, had field hockey. This was 1995, and I get this newspaper article, and I was like, well, I'm bored, and at the time, I think when you leave a Division One program like Penn State, and I had been, we'd been number one in the country we'd been to three national championships and lost them by chance but you are used to doing and moving and going so for me to have a job for seven eight hours a day I was bored so I was like I'll go for the interview so basically went to the interview and the reason they added field hockey here was two twofold one they had a huge intramural program so they had a lot of girls a lot of women playing in this intramural kind of club situation they were the ones that were like hey can we get a team and then in a title nine world that's kind of back in the day when title nine had really hit its stride in terms of 
of the equality for men and for women. And there were not many women's sports here. And there was only one women's coach. And she had been hired, Trisha Sacafabri, like a few months before me. So I think really the reason it came about was that there was a need for it. People advocated for it just in everyday situations. They wanted something and they went after it. So that's how it started. And I came for the interview and, and I was on the interview. And, and at, back in the day, Burt Kahn, which our court is named after for the volleyball, he's the one that interviewed me. And anyone who can tell you Burt Kahn stories, I mean, he had dogs. He had a spittoon in his office. It was dog hair everywhere. It was right now it's Alyssa, Alyssa Badofsky's um, her uh, her uh, office, which is spotless, minimalist, gorgeous, clean. <laughs> it was it was where Burt Kahn hired me. And he said, do you want the job? It's either you or some other guy. And I ended up taking the job on a whim because sometimes, you know, you just need something to do. You want to go back to your skill set. And it was just the, the right time and the right place for me. So were you able to take things from that you would learn from Penn State and kind of try to transfer them into your new program? I mean, let's be honest. I kind of tried to mirror everything that I knew because I thought of it and I thought of it. Oh, we had a very successful time there at Penn State. So sure, I came in and I probably mirrored everything, which probably is why on day one of tryouts, I had 70 girls show up and on day two, there were 30. <laughs> so I think that gives you an idea of, of I probably scared a lot of people away. And I figured it, back in the day, I remember being at Penn State and it was our big saying and people talk about go hard or go home. That whole statement was just coming out as kind of a big deal. And I think we had that on our T-shirts the first year. But I think I'm not sure I scared people away, but I think the commitment was known right off the bat. And yeah, I, I used I, I used the runs that we used at Penn State. I used the drills. I mean, what else would I know but everything I knew from Penn State? And being at Penn State, I also spent literally eight to ten weeks of summer coaching at other camps that's how I made my money like you could go around and make pretty good money coaching field hockey so I brought a lot of that with me plus my coach Char Moret um, is kind of legendary coach she's been at Penn State now 34 33 years and she is a legend so why wouldn't you take the best from what you've learned and then come here and kind of think to yourself how would you evolve it and I really did truly come here as I'm a little bored I'll do this for a little bit right and the same nothing can, much to lose at nothing that point. much to lose yeah. and Rand Pecknold and Trish Sacker will tell you the same thing the three of us are still here 24 25 years later and we all kind of came in thought let's try and see what happens here and um we are lifers we are people that have not left the place so now you you have your program you started to get it off the ground obviously it's not going to be a, a national contender right off the bat um as much as you might like it to be and, and you'd hope your penn state drills will help it to be but how do you then start to build your program and build it into a, a Northeast powerhouse? What do you start to do at that point? I mean, I think what was wonderful back then is, you know, we had brought in our, our new AD. It was Jack McDonald who just left and, and retired from here not long ago, I think about five years ago. And he was coming from Colorado, from the Denver area, and he, he was new too. So to come in with a new um, boss, a new administration um, was key. But I think the same is true today. There's a consistency about the people that have been here and are always here. So Bill Mecca was was the first person I met. He was the person that walked me here and said, let's go pick a field. We walked out on the current women's rugby field. We walked out um, where our current field is. We walked out where the new stadium and everything is. And all that's grass fields. And he's like, where do you want to play? And I remember walking with him and just kind of picking a spot. And then him saying, well, what do you want for your uniform? So Bill Mecca, you know, added and still does. He is the legacy of this place. He is the person. He is 
the Mr. Bobcat, whatever you want to call him. But then there's a real nice peppering of newness in terms of administration, even back in that day. And I saw the growth as they started hiring new administrators and new coaches and new people. So I think, you know, at the very beginning, everybody in any job, career, profession, especially athletics, it's recruiting. You got to go and find the people that are going to make a change in, in your program. And I, I can tell you my first three or four big recruits that I got and how important they were. Lauren Lebrecht, Lisa Scavato. Um, Lisa just got into the Connecticut Hall of Fame just two weeks ago here. She played at Enfield up in Connecticut. And she was like one of the first like legit, I got myself an athlete and really good. So I think going out and recruiting and back in the day, you picked up a phone at night and you called people on the phone and you sent them mail. So you couldn't like, it wasn't easy. And then you learned to go out and find that. So I think recruiting is important, but the most part, important part is that the recruits understand what your vision is. And my vision has always been to go one step further, always get one more step, whether we're going from division two to division one, whether we change the three or four conferences that we changed in, you're always trying to take that next step, which I think really mirrored the growth of Quinnipiac University, Quinnipiac College back in the day, President Leahy, who was here, and, and the growth, and now with, with President Olean, how we're trying to move through and, and grow and change and always take a step forward. So when you are recruiting, from both a personal and athletic standpoint, what kind of player are you looking for? I mean, I really can, and I don't say this in a, to be, uh, I don't want to be egotistical or cocky, but in, it can take me five to six minutes to watch somebody on the field. And wow, if I'm watching okay. them, there's, you, and I think it's always been that case, the case you can tell, you have to look for athleticism first, first and foremost. Field hockey is not a sport anybody was born with a stick in their hand in the United States. Obviously out in the rest of the world, a lot of my international players have been playing since they're two or three. Their parents all play field hockey. It's just, they're just used to it so I think first and foremost um, you're looking for athleticism in the United States and that comes first and then you're I, I love to watch a player off the field. So when I go to a recruiting event, like where are they, what are they doing on the bench? Cause what are they doing when they're going in? Are they subbing in at speed? So there's just some intangibles that you're looking for. There's some non-negotiables that I'm really looking for. So I think that's key. But then for us, what's really important is the academic side. So once you get the feel for them athletically and you like them, you gotta go, oh, I hope they're smart. Like that's my next thought, oh, I hope they're smart. And then you hope, oh, I hope they want health sciences because the health sciences have always been a draw for, for I think a lot of the women's teams and, and some of the men's teams too, but your PT, your OT, your nursing, your PA, I truly believe there's no better place to go be a student athlete and do those majors. Um, we have almost 100% success rate in terms of they leave and get a job within a second. And the nurses, they're all out there, all out there working. So I think you look at the athleticism, then you look, do they fit an academic profile? Are they smart? And without being, you know, smart means a lot of different things. Are they smart? And then you have to find the mix with the parents and the family and the family members and is the connection in terms of the distance from home good. So I think those three things, once I can get those three ticks and I can get those and figure those out, then it's a matter of, you know, how much do they want to be here? I, these days in age, this day and age, I, I, I love to see a kid who tells me, this is my number one choice. And you don't get that enough. Right. But I think when someone says that to you, you're hitting a, a whole bunch of ticks for me in terms of somebody who would be a good bobcat. Because you know they're, they're here and they're there's no place they would oh, rather sure. be when they walk in the door. Sure. Here. When they're seeking you out and they want you to be here and they're telling you they want to be here and I'll do anything to be here. I mean, we have a lot of athletes on our team that are non-scholar athletic scholarship players that are paying a lot of money after their merit or whatever to be here because this is the place that they really want to be. You can't, you don't have a team at our level with our team sports. I can't have 24 full scholarships. You know, basketballs, those guys are a little bit different, but I don't have that. So you have a good seven to eight players now. And back in the day, half my team or two thirds 
of my team didn't have athletic scholarships. So they're actually playing for the love of it. And I think that continues into now. If they're not playing for the love of it and the love of this place and the people they're around, then you're probably not going to have a successful career with them. So you can obviously take the trip up up 91 and go see somebody play in Enfield or, or somewhere in Connecticut, but take me through the the international scouting for field hockey. You mentioned that it's it's more popular overseas. So what's the process of finding a player from somewhere in Europe or elsewhere and ending up getting them to Hamden, Connecticut? Sure. I mean, in the in the world, when you put all the sports up, field hockey is the fourth most popular sport in the world, and people don't know that. Above that is volleyball, soccer, and table tennis. So when you look at the whole world, I don't think people understand. Field hockey is, you know, uh, over in Europe, in Argentina, over in Australia, New Zealand. Um, you know, the Dutch are the best. The Germans are the best. Um, the English, the Irish are getting very good. But they have all have clubs. For the same way that we have a golf club here, they have field hockey clubs, where you have a social night, you have a social club, where you go, you have a beer, you have some chocolate and bread afterwards, and you, and you play your sport, and this is where you go three, four times a night. So field hockey is also primarily a male sport in most of the world. Uh, we're one of the rare countries where it's really primarily a female sport in terms of funding from the Olympics, and we obviously don't have male field hockey anywhere in the collegiate set. So I think when you when you go outside of the United States and you have the opportunity to bring in uh, players of different culture, different diversity, ethnicities, um, faiths, religions, backgrounds, everything's totally different. Um, it took it took a while for us to cultivate the point where we have six to seven on, uh, international players on our team, because you have to have to. There's a different care involved. But these kids have had the stick in their hand almost 10 years more than the American players. So when you've had a stick in your hand 10 years more, you're just naturally going to be at a better level. So I think a lot of times when our international players come in, it's like bringing, it's like having a, an American player that's a junior. And don't get me wrong, you can't, you can't survive, you can't have one without the other. I can't have a whole team of international players. It wouldn't work. I couldn't have a whole team of just American players. So when you have that mix, I think there's a beauty in the learning of the different styles of hockey, the prettiness of the hockey, the ability to handle the ball. So when you go overseas and you're looking international or, we, or we're looking through recruiting services, you know, you want someone who's really comfortable with the ball, who's strong with the ball, and they just have that. So when you bring an international athlete in, I love to watch the molding and the meshing of the two parts and the, of the Americans and Americans saying, hey, come home with me for Thanksgiving. And I'm going, what's Thanksgiving? And like, <laughs> so it's, it's just really a nice, nice feel. I love having an international athlete on my team and what they bring to the diversity of our group. Or the, We change our group think mentality of always thinking the same way and someone comes in and you're like oh I never thought about doing it that way so it fits nicely with a team can you see a difference in the the style of play between your American recruits and your internationals <laughs> oh yeah I don't mean to be stereotypical but I will be for just one second <laughs> our international athletes don't like to be touched our American athletes are like all out, going hard, pushing, shoving, going after it. So there's always that mode of why are they touching me? Because they're used to, if you're Dutch or you're German or you play pretty hockey, you pass around things. As Americans, um, back in the day and even most recently in the World Cup a few years ago, you know, we won because we were physical, we were fitter, we were faster, we were um, more athletic. So that's what we have going for us, but they bring in beautiful, I call it beautiful hands, their hands with the stick, the hockey stick what they can do with their hands they come in and there's just a really nice mesh uh, once they get over being pushed and bumped and then the pushed and bumped Americans get over oh my god she just passed in and out of me boom 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 so there's just a really nice I, I don't mean to be so generic but there's a beauty when you put those two styles together and, and that's kind of the point we're at right now in our season where you've gotten that mesh and the beauty of, of everyone's style coming together and I can un you, you can understand I mean that takes a little while to get 
both sides used to each other and used to playing mm-hmm. a, a cohesive style meeting mm-hmm. somewhere in the middle. Um, so that must be kind of a challenge for you and your, your coaching staff to balance some of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so moving forward a little bit, uh, 2013, I believe was the year, um, your team is named a sport of emphasis at Quinnipiac university. One, uh, it's a high honor. You join, join the likes of men's hockey and the basketball teams and things like that. What does that mean to you now that being roughly five years ago? So you're, you're around 20 years of, of experience there. What does that mean to see your program be named a sport of emphasis and, be one of the biggest teams here on campus? I mean, I think, you know, that's kind of a name, but then what comes with it is a different level of support in a way that's that's able to elevate in what you're trying to do with your athletes, whether it's a little bit more time, you have more athletic training at your, at your field, you have a little bit more funding, obviously, you have um, the ability to maybe purchase the metal masks that you need on the DPCs versus just wearing the plastic mask. So it puts you in a place where, quite frankly, as a coach, it can be frightening because because now you've got every tool that you possibly need. Um, the way this university supports field hockey and has aligned us in a level somewhere with basketballs and ice hockeys, it's it's really something we never take for granted, and I want to make sure the team understands how lucky we are. You know, when you come here, and this is your only experience, you sometimes go home for Thanksgiving, you go home at break, and you talk to your teammates that are at UNC, that are at Michigan, that are at Delaware, that are playing at Fairfield, and you kind of go, wait, what? And then you come back and go, wait, I didn't know that they didn't have this and we don't have that. And so I think the moment they put that stadium in for us last year which is just the epitome of, of the support you can get um, for for field hockey in general and in this program you know you have one of the top five stadiums in the country on this campus for field hockey and when you look at it and the care and the time that was put into it I, I we just t- don't take it for granted we're very very grateful I think that's a good word for for where we are going but it, it felt like a good move it felt like a logical step we have a great assistance uh, assistance and Cheryl and Nina we have our strength coach and Emily we have great athletic trainers the administration has been growing and over the summer we've seen both with athletic communications and every type of group here the support and the people coming in that really 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 want to cultivate the success it's just a warm feeling I don't know how to put it better than I feel supported I get to go and hear um, colleagues complain about their administration about this I got nothing to complain about all I can do is smile and go yeah yeah and I think to myself someone really was going to want this job is when it's time for me to retire because it's just a great great place to be a field hockey player a female athlete an athlete a student athlete um i guess i'm giving my recruiting pitch for a second but that's really how it feels here for us yeah that's and that's a it's a great a great culture to be able to impart on some new recruits Mm -hmm. i mean look at look at what the university is doing to to build our team and to to give us everything we need to be successful sure um yeah but you you actually you mentioned the stadium i mean how has that specifically changed your team or your recruiting picture what effect has that had on on your squad so far i mean i think the ease of getting through the stages of being a student athlete when you can get those stages to be short and easy there's a big difference for example we're on we're at I spend six hours at my stadium now so I forget what this office feels like sitting in my actual athletic center office because I can spend six hours out there so you're coming an hour and 15 minutes before you're going to get the watering system going you get the music running the team shows up the athletic training room is out there so they're having their athletic training room we have our meeting space so maybe I'm having some individual meetings with players some of the players are going in the visitors locker room and doing film with Nina and going over film for the day practice starts in the practice we realize we're having a problem we got the video system set up the spideo video system that's always on we can go hang on a second let's run inside you go three steps off the field into a locker room with a smart board and a roku and everything in the building just push the button and i'm using my finger to draw things so then you're going back out to practice so the efficiency of
of what we're able to do. You finish the practice, you pick everything up, you roll the balls around the corner into a... Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal unless you think about the year before we spent going back and forth to Yale and the amount of time and the exhaustion. And a lot of teams don't have that luxury of in the field hockey world. They don't have the ability to accept two f- steps off. We, we are able to sell um, a product that the moment you look at it and you're a field hockey player, you are like gasping. This place is amazing. Even a soccer player or a lacrosse player is going to look at that stadium and go, whoa, wow. And then to understand, I think the best way to show how well that stadium has done for us is we have our first Big East freshman class that just came in this year, these 10 um, players. And they committed two years ago or two and a half years ago before they saw the plans, but they knew we were going Big East and they bought into the system. And as soon as they saw that stadium, I mean, people see that stadium and they go, yes, I'd like to commit. I've had people commit in one day on an unofficial visit and you're like, oh, oh, great. Okay. Because they walk in and they see that stadium, which lends back to your first question. It shows that there's support here, that you're being supported as a sport, as an athlete. Um, and we're just lucky, lucky, lucky that that's the place that we have found ourselves. And it doesn't come without work, but we feel very lucky. So where did, where did the decision come from to, uh, to join the Big East a couple of years ago? Because that's, I mean, that's the epitome of, you can see how, how much your, your program has grown joining a conference like that. So where, where did that one come from? I think, I mean, in, if we go all the way to the bare basic minimum, um, I feel like when we were in the NEC at the time, our funding already was at a, situa- at a place that was well above all the other teams. So our funding, our support, even how we travel. You know, we're traveling in DACO charter buses with video systems and all that. That's not always the case. So the way we were presenting ourselves in that conference, it was a little bit odd man out. And yes, it is a much easier direct line to the NCAA tournament if you stay in the NEC or you stay in the MAC because you have that opportunity to probably win the conference each year, if not every single year, right, you would hope. But I left the conference the one year, and I came back, and I said to my AD, I said, I'd really like to get out of this conference. I think it's time for us to go someplace else. Also, because I think I felt like we'd been in the same place for a while. And that goes back to how John Leahy ran this university, how Billy Mecca and Jack McDonald and Greg Amodio and Sarah Frazier are running this. It's always about moving into the next step. So I think the next step felt natural. Let's try another conference. And I said it to um, my AD at the time, Jack McDonald. He said, all right, go ahead and look. And I literally, that was it. People are like, what was it? How did it go down? I'm like, he said, go ahead and look. So I call, started calling my friends. And when you've been in the coaching world 20 years or so, and I was president of the NFHCA, so I know every coach, all 80 coaches. I can pick up the phone and call all 80, which gives me a heads up, and I don't forget that that's not the case for everyone. So I just started calling. And research-wise, America East obviously looked first and best for us, but then the one that wanted us was the Big East. The Big East came out and said, we'd love to have you. Well, we spent three or four years going back and forth with them because they rather imploded, and the AAC and some of the sports left, and so they had to keep holding us off. But once we got that call the summer before we left I almost couldn't believe it because we were waiting for three and a half years and everyone knew oh I think Quinnipiac might go to the Big East obviously any sport here at this university if they were able to go to the second or third top conference in their sport there would be an excitement level so the exciting thing for me was this is a new challenge and obviously it's been an incredible challenge for three years so far but I always question that whole mentality do you play a really hard schedule and then go into the MAC and and try to overachieve. Will that keep you good, or do you just need to get in a good conference and play? 
as soon as we got into the Big East, the change in our level of play and our the athlete that we're getting has just gone through the roof. So I think it's proven that the scientific method for me is that you play a higher level, you're going to get better, and at some point you're going to start winning those games. In the last couple of years, we've won some games we never should have. And, you know, beat ODU, you beat Liberty. You know, we haven't had that big win yet this year, but that's the thing we're looking for to do. But um, it's it's pretty exciting place. And as I go back to always taking steps forward, and I think that's why when you talk to Trish Saka in women's basketball and you talk to Rand Pecknold and you talk to Dave Clark in women's soccer and, and Eric Feketa in men's lacrosse, we're all at a place where we've been here a long time, but the growth is just exciting. You don't feel like it's the same place every year, and I think that's key. So you've mentioned multiple times taking the next step. That's what you look mm-hmm. for in your players and, and as, a, as a whole program, that's what you try to achieve. Yeah. What's the next step at this point? What, where are you? Where is your program headed next? I mean, I, I, I'm afraid sometimes of putting out there the goals, but obviously our goal is to make the Big East Championships this year. You know, we got to finish top four, and to do that, you got to win four games. We've won three games the last two years, thought that might be enough, but we'd win the right game and lose the wrong one, and we didn't get in. So I think that's key. We are hosting the Big East Championships here next year on our field, so there's a, there's a change that needs to happen. So, for example, next summer, for the first summer in 24 years, our team has to live here for the last four or five weeks of the summer. So that's a new initiative that we put forth to them a couple months ago and said, listen, this is the direction they were going. That's number one. Number two, if you're an American athlete, you will be trying out for the U.S. team. You will be going and doing the high performance. You'll be training, and that's in April through June. So we've we've kind of already put it out there. And our incoming freshman class this year, this this Big East class as I call them, uh, they knew this ahead of time. So they're all they're all in diving in. So we're still working through. We've got a class or two that came in and thought we would be in the MAC, and those guys are totally on board. So to have 24 athletes right now totally on board with the initiatives and the change and understanding that change has to come to get us to the, that point, that's exciting. So obviously making the Big East Championships is key. We have to win the three games in the next four weeks that are very important. We need to also be there next year so that we're hosting and we're in a situation where we're able to be in that, playing in that, and hosting. And then I think uh, recently we just hired Nina Klein. I think as we changed our coaching staff, we brought in Nina Klein from, from UConn, who's a three-time national champion. She's the most decorated player in the world, in the country. I'm sorry, world. She would love that. <laughs> she, I think as you're looking at your staffing and changing, I think we have a lot of things in line, but it's now how, does we, how do we grow as a staff? And as a staff, we just shifted all of our job duties and responsibilities and put a whole new organizational chart together to mend, uh, to lend towards our strengths. And I think once we get to the end of the season, we'll evaluate that, see where we can be more efficient um, because that makes it easier for our team to be more efficient, to understand where the job responsibilities are and things like that. So I think other than that, the other thing we'd really love to do that we haven't done in a while is an international trip. For us, when we get those international tours, we have the opportunity to look for other players. We have the opportunity to step outside our small, beautiful, perfect Quinnipiac and go out and see what the rest of the world is really about. So I think that's something we'd love to have to happen in the next couple of years. And to kind of to kind of finish this up, you mentioned now you're talking about your 2018 squad. So um, you're now in the middle of Big East play, as we said. So what have you seen from your team this year, and and what's the what's the top? Where can this team go? I mean, we're trying to figure out, you know, when to put the foot on the pedal and when to put the foot foot on the gas pedal and when to put it on the brake. And that's what we have had a hard time figuring out. I think last two years we kind of had some restrictions in terms of what we could do uh, skill-wise. So we knew how to hold it back, sit a little bit, and stay in games. And that left us in, I would say, a very mediocre, maybe vanilla way. We were never really good and never really bad. So 
I thought we did a really good job those first two years. This year, we seem to be able to put the gas on and be like, boom, we just scored six goals and beat a team. And then, boom, we just lost eight to one. So we're able, and, and I do appreciate, I think, the highs and lows a little bit more because you have those moments where you realize what your potential is and how to push it. But I think this week we are trying to figure out, you know, you can't always go like gangbusters in to play the number two team in the country in, in UConn and the number like 10 team in the country in Liberty. You got to learn how to stay in the game a little bit and not always push it. Because I got kids that want to push it, have the skill level to push it, let's go after it, but not understanding maybe the repercussions of what happens when we turn that ball over. Do we have the same amount of skill as a top 10 team to get back? So I think we're trying to learn the pedal, which pedal to be using at which time. And then, um, you know, we have a wonderful group where we really are only losing about three athletes next year so we'll be returning these 20 some athletes most likely so this is our base and I think we're in a really good place of building each athlete and building out um, so and the youth is really fun so I think I think you know the future for us is bright but the next two weeks are very paramount the next two weeks are really going to put us in a place of of um, stepping into the Big East Championship and feeling grateful that we spent three years to get there or understanding we still have more work to do it's so that's so important that you mentioned to be able to kind of find that balance between, okay, we need to look towards tomorrow's practice or the next game that's coming up and also two, three years down mm -hmm. the line. So mm -hmm. it seems like you guys have, have done a good job of, of figuring that out so Thanks, far. Man. So before we go, okay. I have a couple questions. All we right. ask all yeah. of our guests. Oh. These are more personal. They get your brain pumping. Okay. All right. First one, if you could live anywhere in the world that is not Hamden, Connecticut, because of course, um, where would you live and why? Uh, Galway, Ireland. Wow. Um, okay. That's easy. I'm old enough now that I've actually been thinking about that question and I've been enough places and I've seen a lot of places. So 100% Galway, Ireland. It's, um, I guess for me, when you live in the United States and you're, and I was younger, I've, I've gone to the Caribbean, I've gone to Aruba, I've gone to Florida, I've gone to California, I've done all these like hot, hot places. And I go down there. And for those who can't see, I look like Snow White. So like when I go down there, it's like everybody's got like this beautiful dark skin, can handle the sun, and I need to get out of the sun. I went to Galway for the first time about seven or eight years ago and walked around for about a day and a half and then realized wait a second, I look like everybody. Like, I look like I'm from Galway, like a Spanish Irish. And as long as I keep my mouth shut and I don't say anything, I could be one of them. So that aside with the fact that um, I find Ireland, it's a, an, an ahead of us in sustainability. It's ahead of us in a lot of theory. You know, they don't use their phones. They, 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 they live their life. The, grand, the, the people there are amazing. The food is amazing. I love Connemara. I've been there probably... 10, 12 times over my lifetime in the last eight years. And that's 100% where I will want to retire. Wow. Yeah. Okay. 10 to 12 times over eight yeah. years. Oh wow. yeah. I can't help it. If Love that's not, if that's not a second home, then that's I don't... a second home. <laughs> Hamden, Galway. <laughs> I mean, one in the same. One in uh, yeah. the same, right? Um, okay. Second one, kind of along the same lines. If you could have dinner with one person alive or deceased, who would it be and why? Oh, wow. I think, I think right, I'd have to give an answer of alive and deceased. My alive sure. would be Alicia Keys. Okay. Now, there's just something about her there's a, there, that I'm drawn to in a way that I think I would learn a lot. Um, I do follow her on social media, and I don't follow a lot of people. And I just feel like she just gets it. She just kind of gets humanity. She gets it. She loves to be in love. She loves love. She loves um, her kid. She just, that, she just seems like that kind of person. So she'd be the person that was alive. Dead? Um goodness 
I, 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 I'm kind of intrigued still because I'd like to know the backstory to John F. Kennedy. There's just, I mean, this whole country is kind of was obsessed with it back in the day. And I remember writing a paper in seventh grade about the Kennedy family. So I've always had a little bit of a Kennedy obsession. So I'd love to know, like, was Marilyn Monroe really involved? Like, what really happened? All that type of stuff. So those would be the two. Wow. Okay. I, and Kennedy would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, he had so many things that he, he was with the space race oh, and everything yeah. oh, like yeah. that. He would be, it'd be interesting to yeah. pick his brain. Okay. Last one. Uh, you are on death row. What is, yeah, yeah, I know. Great, great way to end it. Um, <laughs> what is your last meal, dinner, drink, and dessert? So we've had people go things from their hometown. I mean, you can okay. go anywhere with this. Oh, this is easy because yeah. a little, little small personal note. I have a lot of allergies. I can't eat gluten, dairy, eggs, gluten, dairy, or eggs. I'm missing something or soy. Oh, wow. So my meal would have all of that in it. So I would have, <laughs> I would have sourdough bread with like big chunks of butter. I would have, um, pasta, 100% pasta with a lot of gluten in it, probably like a red sauce with shrimp, grilled shrimp in it. And then I would definitely go with like a very moist, fluffy chocolate cake with buttercream frosting. And it can be in cupcakes because I love cupcakes. So it'd be those three things. And then I really can't drink alcohol either. So I would have a bottle of tequila and probably with a margarita mix to it with salt to dip in. So that, that would probably be my ideal meal. And I'm trying to think if I forgot. Oh, and then just a hunk of cheese. Like, <laughs> I just want to eat the hunk of cheese. Like, that would be my death row meal. And quite frankly, that would... That would be, I'd be all right. I'd be all wow. right with that. You'd be going out on top. <laughs> I'd be going out in style and feeling good. And I wouldn't have <laughs> the repercussions the next day because I'm not alive. There so you go. there we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, Becca Main, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We really appreciate it. And best of luck with everything for thank the upcoming Thank you so season. much. Thanks, Dan. So thanks so much to Becca Main for joining us here on episode number two of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. Our next conversation of the day is Lauren Triglione of the Quinnipiac women's soccer team. I talked to her a little bit about her life before Quinnipiac, what made her choose to come to Hamden, and a couple other things that make her unique. She's not just a soccer player. Let's talk more about that. And we're back here on episode number two of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast, and we're honored to be joined by sophomore midfielder from the Quinnipiac women's soccer team, Lauren Triglione. Lauren, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for taking the time. We appreciate it. You uh, kind of had to hobble up here a little bit, but oh, yeah. uh, made it to the studio. So, we made it. Um, you know, we, we a lot of this interview, we want to talk about you and kind of get to know you as a person uh, and also as an athlete. But uh, first, it's been a fantastic start for uh, the season for the Quinnipiac women's soccer team. Uh, they've gone 3-0-1 in MAC play so far. So, I mean, you know, you've gotten to see it firsthand. Uh, what has your team been doing so well? What's been clicking so far this year? Um, well, we started off with a pretty hard um, preseason non-conference schedule, and I think that helped us tremendously. What um, do you think you got from – so you, you played teams like Boston College, BU, Dartmouth. I mean, what are those – what's that kind of competition do for you? Um, well, those are some, some big-time schools, you know. If you go there, it's soccer all the time. That's all you do. Um, and to play a school like that, um, the intensity is high. They're usually – Bigger, stronger, quicker. Um, they have a different style of play, very direct, very fast. And we knew if we could hold up with them, we knew we could do something good in the MAC. So, and that's translated, you think, to, to strong MAC play so far? Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, so, I mean, what I who's been what's been standing out for you? What has your team been doing so well through four games that maybe you didn't see last year in your in your freshman year? Um, I think we've definitely tried to play through the middle more, where we've become more of a possession style team. Where I feel like last year we weren't really, or we were right there, but we hadn't reached that level yet. Um, this year we have some um, a new freshman midfielder who's definitely helping us connect through the midfield. Um, and, you know, everything's starting to click a little more, and we can play our style of play, which is really helping us this year. That is, that's very important. I mean, being able to, to have a style and have all 11 people on the field know, okay, this is what we're trying to do. This is, this is Quinnipiac soccer, essentially. So that's, that's kind of something that you've seen so far this oh, year. Oh, yeah, it's made a big difference. Um, it's leaps and bounds better than last year, I think, and I think we're um, on track to a MAC championship. Wow, there we're, yeah. we're calling it here. Okay. We're calling it here. <laughs> I mean, so is this this is this has got to just be the beginning for Quinnipiac women's soccer. Though. Oh, yeah. 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 We're taking we're going all the way to the national stage. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. So um, we also want to get to know you, of course. So uh, so we were talking off the air, kind of kind of getting to know each other a little bit. And um, one of the things that you mentioned is that you only played one year in high school up uh, up in West Newberry, so you went to school at Pentucket Regional. Yep. Um, and not at all reading off my laptop as I said <laughs> that. Um, so now you played you played club soccer for for a lot of your your life, as it seems. So, what did you get from the from the club game that's been helping you in college? Um, club, I played for Seacoast United, which is up in New Hampshire. I live very northeast in Massachusetts. So kind of near the coast if you didn't get it from the name. Yeah. If, uh, so the New Hampshire club team was a little bit closer than any of the Massachusetts club teams. Um, so some people mistake me from being from New Hampshire and I'm like, no, I just played for a club team in New Hampshire. I'm from <laughs> Massachusetts, but <Right>. thank you. <laughs> um, club has definitely helped me prepare for college. Um, I played in the fall with um, their men's team, their boys' teams, um, and then I played with my team. Um, and then in the summer they had a WPSL program, which is like a bunch of college girls coming back and being able to play with that level even before I got to school was awesome. Wow, so you were, you were prepped, I mean, way beforehand. Oh, yeah, that's the best way to be. <laughs> yeah, so what made you choose Quinnipiac for soccer? What about the program in the school made you want to come to Hamden? Um, I looked at a lot of schools, and for me, academics were a really big thing. Um, once I figured out what I wanted to do academically, which is um, athletic training and physical therapy, um, I kind of narrowed down my choices. A lot of big Division One programs will not let any athlete participate or partake in any major that's health science related, especially athletic training, because you're essentially part of two teams um, when you get into that clinical setting and it's a lot of time so um, a lot of schools were like no way you can't do that here um, a lot of schools weren't didn't sound very helpful they were like yeah a lot of people change their major once they get here <laughs> um, and that kind of pushed me towards more of Quinnipiac Dave Clark our head coach he's really into academics and he was like yeah you can come here other athletes have done it um, and so from there I was like I think that's the best fit for me. So how do you how do you manage? I mean, that's that's a very intensive major, and of course you're playing a Division One sport. So how do you manage and, and spend your time with both? Um, the biggest thing for me, I think, is just time management. Um, you know, if I know we're traveling on the weekend, like this weekend we left, we were gone Friday, Saturday, most of Sunday, trying to get stuff done before I leave because who knows what's going to happen during the trip. Um, 
and just planning ahead, um, things for athletic training. There's a lot of clinical hours and just figuring out when I'm going to get those done and who I need to talk to to get those done. Right. So. And it's it's been a it's you've been able to do it so far clearly. Yeah, so yeah. far it's it's been well. It's, yeah, it's going well. Good, perfect. Okay, yeah. um, so one of the other things, the uh, thank you to Nick Trebinsky for this tip. Um, you played a number of instruments growing up. Oh yeah. So I mean, very well rounded, <laughs> which is which we're finding out now. But I mean, so first of all, if you could pick one instrument that you could play for the rest of your life, what would it be? Ooh. I think I'd stick with the guitar just because it's a classic. Yeah, you can, you know, I really like fingerstyle guitar. Um that's my favorite style, but you know, you can just you can literally play anything you want on it. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you so I mean, how uh, how many instruments can you play first of all? Oh boy. I don't know. Let me count. Okay. Um so when I was young, I took piano lessons. Okay. Um I got a harmonica for one of my birthdays <laughs> from my grandfather. Yep. Um, I wouldn't say I'm very good at it, but yeah. you know, you you have it. You I played have it. it. I yeah. played it. It's on the list. I played the saxophone for many years okay. during elementary school and middle school. Wow. Um, I played the ukulele, the guitar. Oh boy, have you ever heard of the jaw harp? The jaw harp. You know those like old movies where they have the like sounds like. I, that was terrible, but yeah. like, we'll uh, we'll we'll edit in this. Is, oh, this is what a jaw harp in. sounds like. I've tried it. I yeah. can't really play it. Um, but it's with you. It's with your mouth. Like you. Oh, like, do you, you it's hold like, it and you like strum yeah, it. Yeah, there's like a weird thing. Yeah, it's weird. Wow, it's okay. so old school. <laughs> I found it in my grandfather's um basement. Yeah. You know, I had to play it. That's right up there with um, my uncle played the nose flute. Yeah. Oh, I can play the recorder. Okay. Um, uh, Pretty much any instrument you would throw at me, I'd probably try to play it. Yeah. Like, even if I had no clue how to play it. Have you gone in the, the woodwinds area, like a clarinet, a, a, a flute? I've I've played them. Okay. But I've not, like... Mastered them? Correct. Okay. I wouldn't say I could play a song on it, but, like... Right. Give me, like... Half hour, probably. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. So what? I mean, what about music? Do you love? Why? Why play so many instruments? I don't know. I think it's just this like connection um, between you and an instrument, and also being able to create something. Um, it's just like really relaxing to me and really cool. I think. Do you do you spend any time in college playing instruments? Does it is it a way to help you relax? Or I mean, um, you seem to ha you seem to have a pretty full plate already. Yeah, um, I've noticed that once I've gotten to college, my playing time has gone down a lot. Okay, um, but that's merely because I just don't have the time. Right. Um, over the summer, a lot when I have free time, I tend to take it out. Or um, one of my study tricks, if I can't remember something, usually make it into a song. And there it goes. Sticks wow. with me. So wow. Okay. I mean, any uh, any original creations you can share with us right off the bat? Oh, or, I mean, nah. that, that may be asking a little too much. That's, that's a little too much okay. right now. <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe another time. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> I'll all right. prep so, something. So uh, Lauren will be back on the podcast maybe a <laughs> uh, couple couple months when she's got a hard test to study for. Yeah. Um. And lastly, about I mean about you, um. Another thing that we learned is that you rode crew during your senior year. I did. So this, I mean, this is a complete 180 from, from soccer. So, I mean, what made, first of all, what made you decide, oh, rowing crew, this is what I want to do for my senior year? Um, 
I knew a few people that were doing crew. Um, it wasn't associated with our school, but there was um, a club um, close by that was doing it. I knew a few people on okay. it. Um, I also knew that I, I committed to Quinnipiac at that point, verbal commitment. So I knew I would be playing. Um, I think I was recovering from like a stress fracture in my foot. And I was like, I probably shouldn't be doing a lot of running right now. Right. Um, but I wanted to stay active. I wanted to do something. Um, so I was like, you know what? When else am I going to get this opportunity? <laughs> I'm going to go for it. Also knew I would be playing four more years of soccer. And burnout is definitely a thing. And having played most of my life, I was like, I think I'll be fine if I take a little break, a few months wasn't like I wasn't doing fitness on my own, but, um, and it was probably the best experience I've ever had. Um, it was so cool. It's literally the epitome of a team sport. I learned so much. Um, you have to carry the boat. You have to row at the same time. And I, you, ha you feel every movement your teammates make. And when you, someone is not rowing, you can tell. Um, and that was like a big thing that stuck with me and kind of translated into soccer is like, in crew, you know exactly if someone's not working hard enough. Um, in soccer, team sport, um, it should be the same. Who yeah. would have thought? I mean, you go to row crew because you know a few people and you learn some, I mean, clearly invaluable lessons about teamwork and and working together. That's that's incredible. Yeah, I'm surprised we don't have a crew team here. I mean, we're named after a river, are we not? We are, the Quinnipiac River, that's so, right, yeah. A little not, disappointing. Yeah, I mean, you know, not that we have huge bodies of water around us but i mean hey you know there's there's new haven and you could always jump in the pond next to the school of common oh, and row around for a little bit why I mean, not you never know anyway so uh before we let you go uh a couple of before we go questions uh we ask these of all of our guests and they're really the ones that that make our guests turn their brains on oh, and goodness. and have to think outside the box so the first one if you could live anywhere in the world, besides, of course, Hamden, Connecticut, because that's where <laughs> we all want to be, where would you live and why? Um, I think I would live in the mountains in New Zealand. Wow. Okay. Explain that one. Um, I love the outdoors. Um, I love nature. And I went to New Zealand when I was in like fourth grade um, with my family, and we stayed there for like a month. It was, like, best vacation ever. Yeah. Um, just such a cool place, such great people, um, and I think it would be awesome to live there. Wow. So so now, did you grow up kind of camping and, and doing various um, outdoor hiking and things like that? Yeah, I traveled a lot. We traveled, like, every two years. We did a big trip. Ooh, so okay. I've been to New Zealand, Africa, Europe, um, Bahamas. Um, probably some other places that I'm forgetting now. But yeah. Hey, that's, that's an unreal list. Just oh, those yeah. four. It was awesome. Wow. Okay. Great exposure to different cultures. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, you, uh, from what I've heard, I've, I've never had the chance to travel outside the country, but I've heard you, you learn a lot and you see, I mean, there's so much more than just America and Americans and everything like that. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Number two, if you could have dinner with one person alive or deceased, who would it be and why? Oh gosh. Yeah. I'm gonna have to think about this one. Yeah. We can we can take a pause. It's tough. I mean, let's see. Um Greg Amodio said his parents. Um yeah, let's see. Nick Jurbinski said I almost want to say one of maybe not Ted Williams. There was an a, there was like an actor one and a sports one, I think that he said. Hmm. This is tough. I 
think I would pick Serena Williams. Okay. Um, I think she's just like a really strong role model um, and obviously an amazing athlete. And the fact that she's been at, at the top of her game for so long. Um, just to like pick her brain on how she continues to push and be the best. Can't be better than that. I mean, and there's obviously now with what happened a couple weeks ago, a lot to ask her about. Oh yeah. Um, okay, there you go. And number three, last one that we have. You're on death row. You're there. there. <laughs> bad stuff happened. Um, we don't know what, but bad stuff happened. Uh, your last meal. Dinner, drink, and dessert. Now, this can be something that you had at a local place near your hometown, something that you've had here, something from the calf. Like, there is anywhere you can go with this. Okay. I would go to Flatbread Pizza. Um, it's a local place, but they also have places around. So, not many people know who they are, but okay. great pizza. Okay. So, I get Flatbread Pizza. Um, their homemade lemonade. Sure. What is it, dessert? Yes. I would just go there and get their, uh, they have like pumpkin bread and pumpkin ice cream. That's their dessert. I just seasonal. go to flatbreads. Yeah, I was going to say. Great. Can you tell great. I go there every year for my birthday? <laughs> <laughs> wow. So a shout out to uh, a shout out to flatbread pizza. You guys are, you guys are sponsoring Lauren's last meal. So yes. Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. Good luck to everything uh, for everything with the rest of the season. And of course, with athletic training, uh, where can, can we find you anywhere on, on social, anywhere people should follow you? Um, Big plot twist here. I don't have any social media. Wow. Yeah. There you go. The out the outdoors theme continues. Yep. If so if you need Lauren, send up a signal flare. Send so up a signal flare. She'll see you from somewhere. Or all just right. talk to me. There I'm all about saying hi. Oh. So. Wow. All right. Say hi to Lauren if you see her in the hallways. <laughs> Lauren, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week with episode number three of the podcast. Broch, we have something else across the Quinnipiac athletic communications realm that uh, people should be taking a look at this week. Bobcats Weekly is back, baby. It's gonna <laughs> it's starting up probably the day before this one's coming out. So every Tuesday almost, and we're gonna have one at the end of the week, previewing the weekend. But it will recap everything, highlights the whole nine of what you might have missed at Bobcat Nation the weekend before. That's on IGTV. We'll probably push it through other airways as well. Really good work by Bobcat Sports Media Group members. Everybody from Franklin, John Franklin hosting to Matt Help and Drew Feinberg. Matt McAuliffe and Pitsy all behind the scenes. It was really a good effort. And, you know, it was one thing. I'm, of course, the first week we're running it. I'm not there, but they were able to step up and just show us the power of this group and the entire athletic comms department as a whole. It's a fun one. And it's another baby for us to take care of. So make sure as soon as you're done uh, listening to us, you go back and watch Bobcat Weekly on IGTV. Catch the one on Tuesday. There will also be a weekend preview edition on Friday. Uh, Broach, from a personal standpoint, where can we follow you on social? At Tyler underscore Broche. I'll probably just be tweeting about how sweaty I am. You know, that's coming to a wrap after surgery yesterday. So only a few more days of me complaining about sweating 24-7. But you'll get the usual coffee tweets and just tweeting about how much Quinnipiac Athletics is absorbing my mind, which is always a good thing.
That is always a good thing. Yes, uh, drier broche tweets coming up uh, within the next couple of days. Hopefully. Uh, You can find me on everything at Dan Ball. Uh, Also Facebook, which I think is just Dan Ball, no at sign. But uh, yeah, so everything, everything Dan Ball, B-A-H-L. Thank you so much for joining us this week, everybody. We'll be back with a new episode next week. We'll catch you then. Bye-bye. theme song of the Quinnipiac Athletics podcast is Wire and Flashing Lights by Professor Click.